you guys have been in a series called One Another. Have you enjoyed the series so far? I haven't gotten the opportunity to listen to every single message, but I, I've heard uh, quite a bit of it. I've been listening. Uh, now, Pastor Scott sent me just kind of the outline, the ideas for, for the series that he had. I don't think he's been following that outline. So uh, you just help me if I'm wrong about this, but it sounds like you've been talking about uh, you were members of one another. That was week one, is that correct? Love one another, accept one another, and be kind to one another. These are the four commandments that you've looked at so far. And, you know, in this series, we're looking at uh, the, the one another commandments in the New Testament and how we are to operate as a church body, how we are to love one another as a church family and, and the way that we're supposed to operate. Now, uh, to be the type of church that God desires, that's our heart. That's what we want to do. We want to be the type of church that God desires, the type of church that's a tight-knit family, that, that loves one another, that knows one another, that serves one another, that, that takes care of one another, that prays for one another, all of that. That's what we want to be. And I'm here to encourage you with uh, one today. You might find it a little unusual at first, and I did too. Uh, but as, as I began to really dig into this topic, man, there's just so much here. So I'm going to ask you to not let this be a, a weird thing, not let this be, just let me talk for a little bit and we'll see how you feel about it at the end. Um, but there's probably been more jokes about this verse in Scripture than there has actual sermons. So I, I've never spoken about it. I've never heard anyone speak about it. And so I was excited to dig in. And, and I'm telling you, as I dug in, I found a, a, just a lot of powerful stuff. So today's topic, I want to I read the Scripture to you. I got, I got three in a row, back to back, so get ready, Jeremiah. Here we go. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 20. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. Or as the, the, the ESV says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, check, check this out. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 12 says, greet each other with a sacred kiss. And then 1 Peter 5.14 says, greet each other with a kiss of love. So this is not a joke. This is the commandment that we're looking at today. Uh, and so I want everybody to pick a partner. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, actually I'm going to ask my wife to come up here and we'll demonstrate. Just kidding. Um, so... We're not kidding about this topic, though. We're really going to look at this phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss, or greet each other with a sacred kiss. And I want to take this idea and divide it into two parts. So we're going to focus on the greet one another, and then we're going to focus on the with a sacred kiss, or with a holy kiss, and, and kind of really break down what this means. So the first one is greet one another. Um, oftentimes in church, we, we just did this a few minutes ago. We had a time of greeting. Right? And what were we encouraged to do? Say hi to somebody, high five somebody, uh, hug a neck, something along those lines. Greet somebody. And one of the reasons why we do this, especially in the middle of the service, is because, to be quite honest with you, some of you don't get here until the second song. But um, I, got some, I got some zingers, okay? Are you ready? So, um, so we, we've, we've done this, you know, going dating way back. Uh, this is something that. We did years ago, probably even before I was, I was on staff here, just greeting one another, shake a hand, high-five somebody, you know, say hello to somebody. 
around you. And I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert, and by that I mean not that I don't like talking to people. The, the definition for introvert as, that I would use is that I'm energized by being alone. <laughs> Anybody else with me? Like, I, I turn on the extrovert for a few hours on Sunday, and then I go home and watch football and like, leave me alone. I'm done. Like, it's over. Uh, I, I, I need to be re-energized by spending time alone. But I love the greeting part of a church service. Anybody else love that part? Who hates it? This is your opportunity to be honest. I mean, some, some of you love it. Some, most of you don't have an opinion. Okay. Uh, some people think it's stupid, and that's fine. In fact, there's... Uh, anybody heard of the Babylon Bee? You ever see those articles on Facebook? Hilarious. Look it up. You'll thank me later. But um, there's been a lot of articles on that. It's a, it's a satirical uh, website that makes fun of just like church things that church people know. But um, there's a lot of stuff on there about people just like running out the door during the church greeting time and just introverts are, are losing their minds during the church greeting time. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's something that actually a lot of churches joke about, the greeting time, and, and it, there's a lot of stuff out there about it. But I love that part of the service. And, you know, there's a, there's a reason why, because, you know, there was actually, I, I, I said hello to three or four people that I didn't get a chance to say hi to uh, before the service started, and, and it's just a cool opportunity to meet those around you. If, if you're new to the church, you know, you might have an opinion on that, or maybe you hate to say hello to people, I don't know, but... Uh, but it's an opportunity where somebody says hi to you, and, that, and then hopefully everybody gets a handshake, everybody gets a hello. But, um, you know, I, I hope that this doesn't happen here, but how many of you have ever gone to church service for the first time, and nobody said hello to you, and you just, you, you probably got there early, a few minutes early, so you could check the kids in or whatever, get settled in, and you do the awkward walk to the worship center, and you're like, all right, and then you just sit down <laughs> and wait for church to start, and no one says hello to you. Is that, that's, isn't that the worst feeling? I mean, are you, are you with me? Have you ever done that before? It's the worst. It's the worst. It's the, so something I want to I throw out before you. Um, maybe you're not on the guest services team. Maybe you're not normally serving in that capacity or whatever. But if you call the refuge, your home church, I just want to let you know you got promoted. You're on the greeting team. You're on the greeting team. It is your responsibility, biblically, to greet one another, to say hello to somebody, to make them feel welcome. What, what were the other topics? Accept one another. Be kind to one another. Don't leave somebody sitting in their seat waiting for the church to start. So anyway, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're not Robert Dorse. And, and have this big smiling face on every Sunday at the front. Welcome to the refuge. Let's go. Who loves Robert Doris? Come on. He's the best. He's the best. Maybe you're not on the guest services team, but, but you are now. If you call this church your home, you're on the team. You're on the team. It's your responsibility. But I want to dig into this. I believe that when, when this challenge is given in Scripture, this commandment is not necessarily fulfilled by showing up to church and saying, what's up? And then just sitting through the church service and then walking out as soon as it's over, Good sermon, pastor. See you in three weeks. Because that's when a lot of people will be back. Uh, it, it hurts, but it's probably, if it hurts, it's probably because it's true. But uh, anyway, so obviously we're talking about greeting one another and growing together as a church family. 
This is the commandment that we're trying to feel, fulfill, to grow together, to get to know one another. And so I want to take it a step further than just shaking a hand or hugging a neck. I want to challenge you with something you might feel, find a little strange. Uh, I'm not just challenging you to being more welcoming and, and putting a smile on your face and shaking a hand. I want to challenge you to be more connected. To be more connected. I'm, I'm challenging you to learn people's names. Why? Learn people's names. Uh, at, and in public, at your job, in your family. I don't, you know, I accidentally called Madeline Sophie. Sophie's our dog, okay? I did that <laughs> last week, and Madeline said, that's not my name. She's inside. I'm Madeline. She just corrected me straight up. But learn people's names. It's important. But Landon, I only come to church once a month. Well, let's start with getting out of bed on Sunday mornings and coming to church. Let's start doing that. You'll be amazed at how many names you can learn when you're actually here. Um, aren't you glad you came today, right? Maybe I should address our online audience. You know, when you see this tomorrow, you will. Okay, anyway, get to church. Um, what, now, Dale Carnegie says this. This is, Dale Carnegie is kind of a, a business leader, and I, I took a class of his, and he's written some books, and he's, he's long gone. He, he was early 1900s, I believe. Um, but he said this. He said, a person's name is to him the sweetest and most important sound in any language. How many of you appreciate it when someone makes the effort to learn your name? I, I feel like I'm qualified to talk about this because... My name is Landon, but it's an unusual spelling. And uh, it really, for my whole life, I, I'm 28 years old now, but I still, I still think about it. Like when someone t makes the effort to, like, your name's spelled differently. It's just that extra ounce of love that you're like, wow, you noticed. I don't know why, it's just a name. But, but it means so much when someone actually takes that kind of effort. But, but what if I'm not good at learning names? This is going to sting a little bit. But uh, actually, you just don't care enough to learn people's names. That's the truth. That's the truth. Because you know what else Dale Carnegie also said? Most people don't remember names for the simple reason that they don't take the time and energy necessary to concentrate and repeat and fix names indelibly in their minds. When you actually make the effort, you will be able to remember Somebody's not. I mean, and you're not going to be perfect at it. People know better. We're, we're going to be gracious to one another when people forget. But when you make an effort, you'll be amazed at how many more you will remember. Why is this important? This is, this is not even biblical. Why are we talking about this? Well, I want to I get into some of this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this. It says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. The church is a family. The church should not be a place where we go and remain strangers for a long period of time. The church is a family. And so I want to get into just a sub-point under this, greet one another, and it's this. The use of names transforms a society into a family. 
You know, you live in a city. You don't know everybody's names in your city. That's, that's not possible. There's, what, 27,000 people here. You can't, you're not going to be able to do that. Your brain cannot comprehend that. You live in a society. But in the church, the church is a family. And uh, I've got a long, pass, a long passage of Scripture. You can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16. I'm going to blow through it really fast if you want to read along with me. The point is not necessarily all the reading that I'm going to do. I want you to notice what Paul does when he ends his letter to the Romans. Because the way that he starts out, that Romans is 16 chapters, he starts this letter by saying, uh, he, he's talking about how proud he is of the church in Rome. He's talking about how he longs to go see them. I, I want to encourage you and I want to be encouraged by you. And quite frankly, as I was reading that, I was like, that's, that's how I feel about today. I was longing to come here. I was longing to see you, to be encouraged by you, to encourage you. And like this relationship that Paul has with the church of Rome, I was, I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul, but that's, I was feeling that. I was feeling that. And then he ends the letter, and I want you to notice what he does. He could say at the end, tell everyone I said hi, I'll see you soon. But what he says, actually, he takes time and effort to list a whole bunch of people by name. And, uh, I'm realizing at this moment that I should have listened to the audio Bible to learn how to say these names, because I don't know how to say them. Um, but in my Bible, this section in Romans 16 is called, Paul Greets His Friends. Just a cool, a cool title. And I'm going to read it real fast. Romans, 1, Romans 16, 1 through 16. He says, uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Centria. See, there's a lot of big words here, but welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. Now, if you're an expectant mother, just go ahead and write some of these down. These are good ideas. Uh, in fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm going to skip a little bit to verse 5. Greet my dear friend Eponidas. I'm guessing here. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus. Now, he's from the city. So, <laughs> our co-worker in Christ and, and my dear friend, Stach Stachus. So, greet Apolles, a good man whom Christ approves, and gives my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus, which he was a little into himself. Okay, I've got a lot of them. Anyway. <laughs> Greet my friend Tryphena and Tryphosa, and the Lord's workers, and, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, who the Lord has picked out to be his very own. Greet his, also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greetings to Asyncritus, uh, goodness, Phlegian, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and to Olympus and the believers who meet with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. There it is again. That's the fourth time it's in the Bible. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Now, in this passage of 16 verses, Paul mentions... 26 people by name, by name. And that doesn't even count the ones where he said, greet so-and-so and their sister and their mother and, and all those and the people who meet in this person's house. He didn't 
get into all of those names, but he listed 26 people by name. Now, honestly, how many of you could do that about your church family? Honestly, if you were sitting at home writing a letter without Facebook and without the opportunity to look at a directory or something, could you list 26 people by name from your church family? Now, these are not, these are not mega churches, okay? There's not 5,000 people in the church of Rome probably looked more like this. 26 people. And I thought about that. I didn't attempt it because I don't want to tell you the answer. But um, that is, that's pretty cool. You know, he, he's, he's probably not been there for a while. He's been separated. And he's just thinking about all the people that he knows and loves because he spent time with them. Because they were his family. As the church, we need to take the time and the effort to get to know one another. I want to challenge you. I mean, what? Church is going to be over at like, what, 11.20? What do you got to do at 11.30? I mean, unless you are working or something today, I mean, why do we, why do we run out the church building as soon as church is over? Or while pastors closing out the sermon? Or why, why do we do this? And, uh, if we're the kind of Christians where we are just checking in the back door, worshiping God for three songs, walking out, hey, good sermon, pastor, and then going home, we are falling so short of the mission of the church and what we're called to be. That is just, we are missing out on so much blessing that God has for our lives because we are supposed to be a family. We're supposed to get to know one another. It should be impossible for us to gather as with believers and not get to know one another. Someone should know you, and you should know somebody, because that's the heart of God. And I want to, I want to prove it to you. The second point under this, greet one another. So I guess A and then B. Jesus knows your name. John chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. This is talking about the shepherd, which is Jesus. So anytime it says shepherd, it's, it's referring to Jesus. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. If you are in the family of God, if you are a Christ follower, a Christian, you've got the seal of Jesus on your life, you are more than just a number. He knows your name. And you know his voice. And that is, that is powerful. I hope I've been able to clearly communicate now why the use of names in a, in a family atmosphere is so important. But I want to share with you just one, this is just really quick, just one practical tip. If you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I don't know. I don't even know the first step learning something. There's just one thing I've learned. You know, I've worked in church, so I need to, I'll shake a lot of hands and need to learn a lot of names quickly sometimes. But one tip this is just free. But uh, if you shake someone's hand, you say, hey, what's your name? Let's just use Kayla, for example. If she says, my name's Kayla, do this. Kayla, nice to meet you, Kayla. So Kayla, tell me about yourself. 
bam, you just said it three times. You've got a much better chance of learning that. If you don't use their name within 10 to 15 seconds, it's gone, right? You've been there before where you're like, cool, nice to meet you, John. And then like a minute later, you're like, what was his name again? <laughs> and then you already know that you went down that street before. So then you just don't ask their name for like a year because you never actually internally. Anyway, you've been there before. Here's the thing. When you become genuinely, genuinely interested in other people, that's the John Maxwell principle, you will be amazed at how much you take away from a conversation. You just have to care. That's, the, that's it. You won't learn if you don't care. You just have to care. Instead of make, and, and we have the tendency to do this. I, I, I heard this before, and I was like, wow, I do that a lot. And I started trying to practice and changing. Someone says, hey, I went to this restaurant on Tuesday. And you go, yeah, we went there Wednesday. Just totally flip the conversation on yourself. What if you say, cool, did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Be interested in the other person. It makes, it makes such a difference. And, and in fact, this is a biblical principle too, because Romans 12, 9, I don't have it on the scripture here, but you can look it up later. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't fake it. Really care. So let's, let's take a turn here to uh, the second part of this. With a holy kiss. What in the world is that? Everybody, everybody picked your partner yet? Okay. Still kidding. What does this mean? Greet each other with a sacred kiss or a holy kiss? Um, according to one commentary that I was studying as I was looking at this topic in preparation for this, it says that a holy kiss was a common greeting in the ancient world. So this is a cultural thing, the kiss. This is a kiss exchanged upon greeting could also symbolize reconciliation, so like coming back together. In the Christian context, it expresses unity. Unity. What if I told you this morning that the Bible is filled with kissing scenes. It's true. It's true. And I'm not just talking about the book of Song of Solomon or any other scene between lovers. I'm, check this out. Th these are just quick references that are, are quite, you know, so the kiss could either be reconciliation or it could symbol, symbolize unity. And that's, that's what this commandment is really more about, unity in, in the church. But look at these examples. Uh, how many of you know the story of Jacob and Esau? So Jacob steals his brother's birthright. He tricks his father into receiving his father's inheritance, his brother's, what was rightfully his brother's. He received his father's blessing. So Jacob like runs for his life because he thinks his brother's going to kill him. And they're separated for many years. And the Lord blesses them both in their own ways. And there's this scene in Genesis 33 where they meet again. And Jacob is scared for his life. He sees his brother. So he like sends his servants and then I think he sent like one of his wives. That's, don't, get, don't read too much into that. It's Genesis, all right? You want a soap opera, read Genesis. I'm telling you, it's weird. But, uh, but then in verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 33, Jacob went on ahead. It says, as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. So he's, he's saying, I'm sorry. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And they both wept. Forgiveness, reconciliation, right there. Then Genesis 45, 
the story of Joseph. So Joseph's brothers sell him off into slavery. And he goes through some hard times. And then the Lord raises him into a certain position where he can save his family's life. And it, it's been many, many years since he's been around his brothers. Well, he recognizes his brothers. And this scene happens in Genesis 45. It says, weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, which was one of his brothers. And Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And they began to talk freely with him. Luke 15, 20, you're familiar with this story. The prodigal son wants his father's inheritance early, takes it, just ruins his life. Has to get himself back up out of the ruins to go back home to say, if I could only be a servant in my father's house, it'd be better than what I'm experiencing now. And he goes home, and when he's returning home, while he's still a long way off, what happens? His father sees him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. There's a, there's a powerful connection here with this, with this kiss that, that we're talking about. Now, these examples obviously are about reconciliation, and what Paul is mostly talking about is the unity. Now, I want to ease your tension. I'm not necessarily talking or about the kiss, or I'm not necessarily all in on the kiss myself, okay? Some of you know i got a bubble about hugs, all right? So don't come up here and kiss me after the service. But it's, it, it's, not, it's more of a cultural, cultural thing. It's still alive in the world today. It's not really an American thing. So don't just go around kissing each other. Um, it's not really about the kiss. It's about unity. It's about family. Don't get too wrapped up in the language of kiss. But here's the challenge. In the church... And, and this, is, this has been a challenge for me, but in the church, we ought to get a little bit more comfortable with one another and be willing to show some genuine affection. I, I, I think, uh, or Pastor John Piper says that as Christians, we might do well to broaden our possible expressions of affection. Let me be clear. I don't want a hug from everyone, okay? I'm just, <laughs> especially not just the full-on embrace, pick you up off your feet kind of hug, okay? But there are some people, when you get close to one another, when you have relationship with one another, there are people where it means the world to me. And when I first started studying this content and prepping for this message, I started thinking about my youth pastor growing up. Tony Mincer. Now, Tony Mincer is a principal of a school, and at the time he was, just, he was a teacher in the school, so he made no money from the church. He had a career, and he simply, on Wednesday nights, he taught us the Word of God. That's what he did. And uh, he, he helped me to start leading worship when I first started playing an instrument. We would lead worship together when I was 13. I remember a soccer game my sophomore year of high school, where I was hit in the face with someone's head and broke my nose. And uh, anyway, that's a story. But um, I had to leave the game and go to the hospital. And before we drove to the hospital to get x-rays and stuff, he comes over to the car because he was there, and he's praying for me. I remember going to his house on Sundays after church and just kicking back and watching football with the youth group guys and hanging out. I remember Taco Bell trips with him on Wednesday nights when he had to get up early and go teach school the next day. I remember uh, being at a youth conference one time many years ago when Leland was leading worship. And uh, Leland starts, at the time, he was like 20. So 
he's a young dude doing huge things. And he, he just starts talking about how, you know, there's somebody in here. God's called you to something huge, and it's intimidating to you. And, and it's, you know, he's been moving and stirring in your heart. I want, you to, I want you to know with God, all things are possible. And if he's called you to it, it's going to come to be. And, and my youth pastor's nudging me on, with his elbow going, I believe that. I believe that about you. And he starts speaking life into me. And so I'm just going to tell you, when I see Tony Mincer, it's like, it's full on embrace. That guy is my brother. He's got full rights. Pick me up and spin me around. He's got full rights. Why? Because we have a relationship. And it matters. And, and I'm not trying to make this weird. Young men, this is not your opportunity to go hug that cute girl, okay? Don't hear me wrong. You know, women too, grown men, whatever. Because the Bible actually says, uh, talk to the older men respectfully as fathers, younger men as brothers. Treat Women as you would, older women as you would your mother, treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. So there's standards on this too. Um, so, but what I'm talking about is the most genuine and innocent affection that you can, that you can think of. And it's so important to consider. And here's, here's why this is so important. I am, told you earlier, I'm, I'm 28 years old now, and uh, I have not been... I have not lived in the same town or been in the same local church as my family in a decade. Since I left home and went to college, I have not been in the same church or the same city as my mom and dad. So who is my family? The church. The church. And many of you live away from family. Many, many of you uh, your, your family, maybe they're not believers. Many of you, you, you don't have the family dynamic where you can go home for Thanksgiving and just embrace one another and love one another. Many of you don't have that. Maybe, maybe when you go home for a holiday, it's just turmoil, and you can't wait to get out of there. I understand that. We've all got that in our families in some, in some capacity. So where do you get it? The church. The church. It's where you're supposed to be a family. In fact, there's this interesting uh, scene in Matthew chapter 12. I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 12, 46 through 50. Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and his mother and his brother, so, his, so Mary and his actual brothers are standing outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus says something really interesting. Who is my mother? He's not, he's not ignorant of who his mom is, okay? That's not the point. He says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he points to his disciples and he says, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother and my, my brother and my sister and my mother. This is such an interesting passage and my commentary said that Jesus is not negating the importance of the natural family, but he is emphasizing the greater importance of the spiritual family. Yes. Commitment to Jesus and his cause is a higher loyalty than family loyalty. For some of you, this is good news, because as I said, your family might be 
all over the place and, and not connected at all. And all of us, in some regard, we have that. Uh, we all have some crazy history in our family somewhere. And uh, it, it's just a fact. So, so how, where do we find this bond? Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven, as I'm striving to do, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mother, that's my family. And that's what Jesus is, is saying here. Some of you, your, your parents don't know Jesus, your brothers and sisters don't know Jesus. Here's what you need to do. This gives you all the more incentive to truly get involved in your church because you need a family. You don't just need a family. You need a family that's striving to follow the will of God as you are. That's what you need. That's what you need. I want to share something with you just as I close here this morning. Eight, eight years ago, so I told you that we came here about seven years ago, my wife and I. Eight years ago, right after we got married, my wife and I, I guess it was about eight years ago, 2011. We walked into this church for the very first time, and we knew about two people. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know anybody. Um, that was it. But for, for a long time, because we were college kids and we had been going to school at Tech, you know, we did the traveling back and forth to home and seeing mom and dad and all that stuff. And we even continued that after we first came to church here for about a year, where we were, we'd go to church here when the weekends we'd stay, and we'd go to church up in Harrison when we would go home and visit family. And uh, that's just, that, that's what we did. So we were committed to church. But we were not committed to a church. And you know what? We missed out on a whole lot there, and we missed out on a whole lot here. 50% commitment in two places doesn't add up to 100. It's just two places that you're 50% committed. And that, it, was, it was circumstantial, but we made a decision. We made a commitment finally. We said, okay, we're married now. We live in Russellville. We don't just go to school. We live in Russellville. We're going to go to church in Russellville. And so when we start, we told our family, we started going home on Friday or whatever, and we'd say, we're going to come back on Saturday night or early Sunday morning and go to church because this is our community now, and this is what we're going to buy into. And uh, I, I just want to tell you, what happened over the course of the next few years because of that commitment is deep, rich relationships that we still cling to today. When our, when our kids are born, people are coming to the hospital to visit. People are, are gifting us diapers and all this stuff. And they're loving on our children because they know our children. We had, heck, we had free babysitting sometimes because some of you just wanted to do that and bless us. And we were able to enrich our marriage relationship because, because we had relationships with people who wanted to do that. And uh, I'm telling you, if, you, if this is your church, this is my challenge to you. If this is your church, you've made up your mind, this is where you go. Commit. Give it a solid year where you are here every time the doors open. You're going to small group. If you're a teenager, you're going to youth group. If you're whatever, you can get, get involved in serving on a team. I promise you, it won't take you a year and you'll feel like you have family. That's the design. That's God's design. And uh, man, that's the way it works. It is going to take commitment on your part. This is a two-way street. They give you opportunities, but you've got to jump on it. You've got to jump on it. And so, you know, for us now, 
everywhere we go, this is what we do. We jump in 110%. Make every effort to get to know those around you. Greet one another. Get to know one another. Become a family. And don't be afraid to give a good, a good hug and feel like family. You know, there's actually health. I, I didn't even put all this stuff in there, but there's, there's health benefits to hug. Hugs decrease anxiety. How much is that ravaging our culture these days? Hug, a, a hug will actually help you to settle down to where you don't have to go to the doctor as much. And I'm not making this up. It's incredible what a little bit of physical touch will do to somebody when you are in need. You cannot go your whole life without having, experiencing love from somebody. It's important. It's very important. And so, uh, and I love you guys. I love this church. I want to pray for you. I uh, appreciate you letting me be here today. And hey, I, I want to hug you. I'm going to open myself up, take the bubble off. And uh, it, it's, just an, it's an honor to see you guys today. And I love you. God, I pray for this church. I pray for the refuge. I pray, pray that you bless them richly. God, I pray that as they're, they're going through this series and they're going to continue this series, God, that you, your spirit would, would grip them and cause them to, to really apply these truths, God, to come together as a family that takes care of one another, that cares for one another, that prays for one another, that serves one another, God, that is enriched with relationships, with strong friendships, God, because life is hard. And we all know life is hard. We struggle through it. We are, we are tempted with so many things. And God, we need brothers and sisters around us to encourage us, to lift us up. God, your word gives us so many different things, so many different commandments and ways to uh, build one another up, to, to love one another, to accept one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another. God, all of these things. God, I pray that we would, we would grow in that as the body of Christ. That it would, be a, it would be a family. God, that we're not just coming to church to get ours and go on with our week. God, we're coming because we love this body of believers. We love each other. And we grow closer to each other as we all pursue Christ together. And it brings us encouragement and enrichment. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today, I'm going to shift gears here. If there's anyone in this room today that does not know Christ as their Savior. God, I pray that your Spirit would, would grip their hearts right now to let them know, God, that they need a family. God, what you have done, what you encouraged us in Romans 8, God, that you will adopt us into your family by means of your Son. God, where we can be a part of the body of Christ, where we can be a part of the family of believers, and we can experience, God, the greatest relationship that we can possibly experience as a relationship with Christ Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to that person right now. I pray that as that we know that there, there is nothing that we can do to earn this salvation or deserve this salvation, God, but what we need to do is put our trust in you. If you're under the sound of my voice this morning and this is gripping you and you want to begin a relationship with Christ, I promise you there are plenty of people that you can speak to today that will be, that'll be willing to pray for you today. I believe Brother Keith will be up here after the service ready to pray with anybody who needs it. God, I thank you for that. God, we lift you up in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen.